Good morning, church. And happy first day of spring. Woo! We live in Minnesota. So the first day of spring is a day of celebration. It's a day, a day of victory. We've survived another Minnesota winter. And thank you so much for making our Pakistan ministry today a part of your footprint focus. We never dreamed that we'd be touching a corner of the world like this. And uh, this group of believers there just has great vision for their people. And uh, this orphanage and this school is going to start in these two villages to break the cycle of poverty that is upon them because of the oppression of living in a country that's 96% Muslim. And uh, your generosity is going to go towards furnishing that building, which we hope will be functioning in, in just a couple months. So thank you so much, and God bless you. Uh, yeah, a little backstory behind how I got into the Bradford family. So I came to North Central Bible College, is what it was called at the time, in the fall of 1981 as a freshman. And then the very next fall, your pastor and Sandy came as professors at North Central. They literally met for the first time in the faculty orientation. And so Sandy was professor in the music department, and I was one of her students, as well as Brenda, when she eventually came, was one of her students as well. And uh, so she also graciously allowed me into uh, the circle of friendship, and so we've been dear friends ever since, and so much so that she invited me to her wedding. And so the very next year, because yes, it was a whirlwind romance that I had front row seats of, uh, the very next year uh, they got married in August of 1983. And um, unbeknownst to me, at that ceremony, I was seeing my future wife for the very first time and hearing her sing for the very first time as she sang at the wedding. Now, yes, that picture's a little blurry, but for me, it just represents like the mystery that was going on in that, <laughs> that moment for me. And um, so uh, she came to North Central. I met her a few weeks later as she came to take some Bible classes and some music classes, and she ended up walking away with a husband because uh, two and a half years later, we had our wedding. And so just last month, we celebrated 36 years of marriage. Now, she did not reciprocate and ask her brother to sing at our wedding. Um, but she did ask him to bring the message, which he did. And of course, as you know, he was amazing as always. And uh, so that was obviously a great, a great day in our lives. And uh, we're so thankful to be here. Um, there's a few other relational touch points that I have with you that I'd like to mention. Um, so the last place we served as full-time worship arts pastors, as Pastor Jim mentioned, was Long Island, New York. We were there for almost 14 years. And each year, we would have a music conference for our own team. And um, so twice, I invited Pastor Tom Atrone to be our keynote speaker and our guest conductor. And then currently, I serve part-time as the district worship arts director in Minnesota. 
And before Pastor Josh came here and joined you, he was in that same role in the Pendell District. And so that's how we got to know each other over the last couple years. And we've had multiple phone calls over these last two years and, and become friends and just literally seen each other face to face yesterday for the first time. And so we had a great morning together yesterday, just feeding into your worship arts department here. And, um, and you're just, you're so blessed to have Kim and his family be a part of your family and leading this team and leading you. So we're so thrilled that you have him here. And then also, I have a connection with missionary legend, Jerry Spain. So who is in the room right now? Jerry, wave at me, my friend. So this picture is from five years ago when we were together in Tanzania. Sorry, I was so awkward. I did not know how to take selfies five years ago. Um, but anyway, I had the honor of sharing the pulpit uh, with him at a three-day conference for several hundred African leaders, and they were honoring him for 50 years of service in the country of Tanzania. So Central Assembly has been his family's home for over 50 years. You have supported him and his family for over 50 years. And so, so I love him. I feel connected to him. And uh, let's just show our appreciation to him and to all of our missionaries that I know are represented in this room. And then circling back to the Bradfords, we're also connected because their first and only currently only grandchild was born just one week before our first and currently only grandchild. And this is the only time they've been together. This was nine months ago. So that's our Zane on the left and their Paxson on the right. And uh, they just, they look like little boys now. They don't look like little babies. And so we're looking forward to a day soon where they can be together. All that to say, I consider you family, and uh, I hope you're starting to consider me the same. And um, we're going to see in the message today uh, that the purpose, the very purpose of life is relationship, which is why I share these relational touch points with you right now. Um, when we were very dramatically called by the Lord nine years ago to leave 30 years of church staff ministry and launch out into the unknown with a message to encourage and challenge us as the church in how we look at worship. And so it's that calling and that mission that brings me before you today. And so through that, we developed a mission statement that says this, growing God's kingdom through connecting worship to life. Growing God's kingdom through connecting worship to life. So I travel the world and I ask the church these two questions. What is the connection between a worship service like we are having right now and a life of worship? And why does it matter? So to answer those two questions, I'm going to share with you three insights. Insight number one is worship equals relationship. Let's all say that together. Worship equals relationship. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. I want each of you to think of a one-word answer, but don't say it out loud. 
And then I'm going to count to three, and we're all going to say our one-word answer together. When a leader stands here and says, let's all worship together, what activity do you assume that we are going to engage in? I'm going to count to three. You're going to answer out loud. Ready? One, two, three. Sing. Well, that was a fairly unified answer. Yes. Okay. I know that you know that worship is much more than singing. However, that does not change the fact that our current language and actions over the last 50 years has married the idea of worship to the idea of music and singing. In many ways, you could say our thinking is worship equals music and singing. But the truth is worship equals relationship. Now, in the second insight, I'm going to share with you what I think is the very beautiful reason why that has come to be, that that, that that idea has come to be. But I do feel there's an unintended consequence, and that is it's another way that we tend to compartmentalize our relationship to God from our relationship to life. And we, none of us want to do that. None of us want to communicate that idea. We want God in our life connected to every area of our life. So the word worship is found in our Bible nearly 200 times. But only a handful of times is it in the context of music and singing. So that means God's description of worship is much deeper and much broader than our current cultural idea of worship. As I've studied the context of all the places that we find the word worship in our Bible, there's been one word for me that rises to the top to describe all those contexts. And that one word is relationship. Worship equals relationship. Everything God does is in the context of relationship. God is always looking through the lens of relationship. So let's look at uh, a couple examples from Scripture of this. The Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20. Now, when I ask people believer or unbeliever, how would you describe the Ten Commandments? Most answers I get are, oh, it's a list of rules. Uh, it's a list of do's and don'ts. And at the surface, that appears to be true, and you could even argue that there is a point of truth behind that. But if we do what God does, and we look through the lens of relationship, the four commands on the left are how to do relationship with who? And the six commands on the right are how to do relationship with who? Exactly. Because God always looks through the lens of relationship. And the Bible is not a rule book. The Bible is a story of relationship. 
Now, when Jesus, when, um, when our God finally came to us in the person of Yeshua the Messiah, who we call Jesus the Christ, by that time, the Jewish leaders had added hundreds, some would say thousands of commands to the commands. So, it was very common for the Jewish leaders to sit around and argue about what is the greatest commandment. So eventually, the Jewish leader came to Jesus and said, Teacher, tell us, what is the greatest command? And you know that Jesus started by answering, Love God with your entire being. But then he made what I think are two stunning statements. First, he said, the second command is like the first. The second command is the same as the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. So the two commands function as one. Because you cannot love God without loving people. And I've discovered you cannot love people unconditionally without the help of God in your life. Just cannot be done. So these two commands function as one. And then the second stunning statement, you know he said, all the commands. I think he might have even been subtly signifying even the thousands that you have added, all the commands hang on these two, on the law and the prophets. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Love God with your entire being, which is going to translate into loving your neighbor as yourself. And I love that your pastor and the leadership team gets this and lives this on the very first page of your website, it says this, at Central Assembly, as a church, we have one goal, to follow Jesus together. Because relationship with God always translates into relationship with others. So, since worship equals relationship, for me, that brings up a very significant question. How does God do relationship? Because, let's admit it, relationship with God is very mysterious, okay? We know how real it is, but it's also mysterious. There's similarities in how we do relationship with God as how we do relationship with one another. But then there's some very mysterious differences. And so for me, it's been very helpful to see in his word how he does relationship. And so insight number two is this. God does relationship in a pattern. This is an aspect about God that we don't talk about a lot, but the fact that God works in patterns. So much of his work is done in a way of a pattern. And I'm going to have you help me demonstrate how obvious and how clear 
That is to every person on the planet. So I'm going to say several of the patterns that he works in, and you're going to finish together each one of them in unison with one word. Ready? First we have day, and then we have the ocean tide comes in, and the ocean tide goes We reap what we forgive, and you will be judge, and you will be be merciful, and you will be shown. And it goes on and on and on and on. So whether it is a law of creation or whether it is a law of living, God works in patterns. So we know that we can look for a pattern in how God does relationship. And I like to call this pattern revelation and response. Let's all say that together. Revelation and response. So God reveals himself to us. In other words, he shows us in a myriad of ways who he is, what he's done, and what he's calling us to do. And then he invites us to respond to him with adoration, with praise, with obedience, and then God responds to us. And this is the pattern in which he does relationship. And I want to point out here that worship slash relationship never begins with our response. See, every other ministry that we know naturally follows this pattern of revelation response. It's happening right now in the preaching. I am emphasizing revelation, and you are responding. You're just sitting there, but you're responding. You're responding right now. It happens in missions. It happens in evangelism. It happens in teaching. It happens in discipleship. The pattern, reveal, invite response. Reveal, invite response. When it comes to what we call worship, our tendency is to think response first. Why? Because that's our part, right? Worship, that's, that, that's what we do, right? It's our response. But relationship, worship never starts with our response because there can never be an authentic response without first the revelation of who God is, what he's done, and what he's calling us to do. And it's this relational pattern that is the connection between a worship service that is happening right now and a life of worship when you walk out these doors. God invites each one of us to live every moment that we are breathing in this relational pattern of revelation response, which means our part in the relational pattern is to be always looking to him, listening to him, and responding to him. And when we do, he responds to us. Let's uh, look at some examples of the scripture. Now, when I first recognized this, all of a sudden, I could not open my Bible without seeing the pattern. Every page, every page. If I looked, sometimes it was easy, sometimes I had to look a little harder, there was the pattern, God's relational pattern. But the easiest way to spot it is simply by looking at the stories of the people in the Bible, which you are all familiar with, but we're looking for the pattern. So Noah, Genesis 7, God said to Noah, revealed himself to Noah, build an ark, 
Here's what's coming. Build an ark. And Noah's response, Noah did everything God commanded him. And do we see God respond to Noah? Absolutely. Abraham, Genesis 12. God said to Abraham, go, leave your family, leave your home, leave your country to a land I will show you. And Abraham responded and went as the Lord had told him. And do we see God responding to Abraham? Absolutely. Moses, Exodus chapter 3, the burning bush, quite a revelation. Now, let me ask you this. Was Moses' response favorable at first? <laughs> no. And did God respond to that response? Yes. And then did Moses finally give a favorable response? Yes. And do we see throughout Moses' life God responding to Moses? Absolutely. Moses lived in that relational pattern. Mary, the mother of Jesus, the angel Gabriel, reveals himself to her, reveals the word of God to her. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And Mary's beautiful response, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Now, these are dramatic examples that I've shared with you. If I told you my story of how God called me into this, it's a dramatic example. But the biggest point I want to make is that whether the example is dramatic or whether it's just the simple parts of life, God invites us to live in this same relational pattern all the time. Why? Well, we'll get to that. And of course, Jesus says it best. Not only is he the best example, he says it the best. John chapter 5, verse 19, the Son can only do what he sees the Father doing. This is where every one of us are invited to live, to live in the place of looking to God, listening to God, and responding to God. And when we do, he responds to us. Now, I want to share with you my favorite earthly analogy of revelation and response. There's actually a lot of analogies to this because it permeates life. But I'm going to give you my favorite earthly analogy, and it is the analogy of I'm fighting my guy up there. Thanks for helping me. Clicker got delayed. The analogy of driving. The analogy of driving. So two days a week, I teach teenagers how to drive. <laughs> and yes, it's true. By now, I have built up to about 40 near-death experiences. Although I would like to say on behalf of my students, most of those are because of people like you <laughs> and uh, not, my, not my students. Um, but about four years ago, I was giving a student their third and final lesson. And this is the sheet we go through and give them to prepare for their test. And we have a list on here of nine things that they're going to be evaluated on. 
And I got to number five and number six. I read all these out loud to the student. I got to number five and number six, and I'm like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. Driving is revelation and response. Driving is revelation and response. Listen to this. Watching and reacting appropriately to traffic and road conditions. Seeing and obeying traffic signs and signals. Now, I had to really stay focused with my student and move on, but when that lesson was over, all of a sudden, this analogy like just exploded in my mind how driving is revelation response. So, every moment that we are driving, we are constantly responding to what is being revealed to us. The light turns red, and we... The light turns green, and we... The light turns yellow, and we... So the answer wasn't as unified on the third and final one. Not all of you would get a sticker that day. But you get the point. Driving, we are constantly responding to what's being revealed to us. Now, when we maximize our potential to be legal and safe drivers, we are focused on two relational dynamics our relationship with the laws of driving, and our relationship with everybody else around us. And these are the same two relational dynamics in which God calls us to live our lives, focused on Him and His laws for living, which help us relate to everybody else around us, just like the laws of driving. Now, we fail to maximize our potential as legal and safe drivers when we become what? <gasps> distracted. When we become distracted. Now watch this. We become distracted when the focus shifts to who? Ourselves. We become distracted when the focus shifts to ourselves. Now, we try to blame the stumbling blocks in our life. Oh, it's my phone. Oh, it's the screaming kids in the back. Oh, it's the radio. Oh, it's the temperature in the car. Oh, it's the billboard over there. Oh, that. But the focus has shifted to self. And this is the exact same dynamic we can all relate to as we're living our lives. We know what it's like to be tempted to focus on self, which immediately draws the focus off of the two relational dynamics that God calls us to, focusing on Him and how our relationship with Him helps us love all those around us. And this is how God describes our worship to Him in this context of relationship. Now, I told you that I would share with you the beautiful reason that I think we've come to label our singing time as the worship time, and um, it is this. In the scriptures, it says over 120 times to sing praises, sing praises, sing praises, because God knows that when we sing to Him, and when we sing about Him, 
and we sing for him, that it's one of the most beautiful, natural, effective ways to enter in to God's relational pattern of revelation and response. Now, the truth we're going after here is that it's only one way to enter into his relational pattern of revelation and response. But nonetheless, our singing time is such a beautiful way. It's such, it, it is so beautiful, and so it makes such a way to connect with him and one another that we just, we had to stop calling it just the singing time. It's just like, this is like, this is like, what is this? This is worship. This is worship. So now over the last 50 years, it's become called the worship time. And just there's a, a few, there's several reasons why that's true. But let me just share with you the primary reason. And it is because of the lyrics of our songs. Because every lyric of every song that is sung in this room is either a lyric of revelation, who God is, what he's done, what he's calling us to do, or it's a lyric of response. I praise you, I thank you, I worship you, I bow my life before you. Let's just take a look at a few lyrics that we sang this morning. You tell me if this is a revelation or response. This first line is a little tricky. Come, let us worship our king. Revelation or response? I'll make it easy for you. Revelation or response or both? <laughs> okay, very obviously starts out response. Come, let us worship. The revelation is it's to our king. Our God is our king. Second line, come let us bow at his feet. Revelation or response? Response. He has done great things. Revelation. Oh, hero of heaven, you conquered the grave. Revelation. You free every captive, break every chain. Oh, God, you have done great things. Beautiful lyrics of Revelation. So our lyrics naturally bring us all together are focused not only on him, but literally in to his relational pattern. And then you just add to that the beauty of how God made music just impact our being. Not all the same, but we're all impacted some way by music. And then you add to that that we're doing it together. And so his response, his relational response is intensified and magnified because now there's, there's a whole... There's many stones of the temple coming together, and so we're, we, we have an increased uh, sense and awareness of his response. So it's just it's such, a, it's such a beautiful, beautiful way to engage with God. But again, it is only one way for us to enter in to his relational pattern of revelation and response. The third and final insight is this. We worship God best when we love others. It's like, what? Wait a minute. Did Pastor Jim clear that one? <laughs> we worship God best when we love others. So you've uh, been introduced to my wife. There she is again. Much more clear in that time in that picture. So I have a wonderful wife. Your pastor's family can attest to the fact that I have a wonderful wife. But no matter how wonderful she is, I am too selfish 
and too self-centered to love her unconditionally for the long haul unless I am staying engaged with God, staying connected to God. I have amazing kids. This is our daughter Kelsey and our son Taylor. Your pastor's family can attest to how amazing our kids are. But no matter how amazing they are, I am too selfish and too self-centered to love them unconditionally unless I am staying engaged with God. If you're in this room and you're married, I'm going to invite you to repeat this after me. I worship God best when I love my spouse. If you're in this room and you're a parent, I'm going to invite you to say this after me. I worship God best when I love my kids. Now, all of us come across many, many people in the course of a day in living life. And I'm just going to be transparent with you and tell you that personally, I am a task-oriented introvert. And quite frankly, I am quite easily annoyed by other people. I mean, give me God and my family and a few close friends, and I'm good. That's my reality. But my higher reality is my best worship to God is when I love others. That is my higher reality. My best worship to God is when I love others. That's, what, that, that, that's the main thing I love about my driving job. I get these teenagers one-on-one -on -one in the car for two hours at a time. And I get to ask them questions about their life, and I'm listening to God. God, in this, with this student, how can I just, just give me a, a moment where I can just give them a glimpse of you? Sometimes it's a small one. Sometimes it becomes a whole conversation. Another way that our family engages in this is when we go to a restaurant where we're going to have a server. And so we're very intentional about building a brief relationship with that server and treating them like a real person. And we find out their name and we start asking questions about their life. And then when they're ready to take the menus away, we simply say, we're going to say a blessing over our meal. Is there anything in your life we could pray with you for? And we've done this, I don't know, maybe hundreds of times now. And it's just so beautiful. We've had servers just literally go to tears in the moment. We had a young man come back to our table and kneel down by our table one time and say, I just want you to know, this is... This is the most positive interaction I've ever had with a Christian in my entire life. And I'm like, just a moment of inviting God into the moment and, and being his son and his daughter in the moment and, and inviting God into to their life. Now, for some of them, it, 
It may be very shallow for some of them. It may be very impactful. But either way, God has been invited into that moment of their life because we have simply worshiped God by loving the person in that moment. And, the, and, and there's, you know, obviously we could come up with so many examples of how we can do that. And I know, and I know many of you live that out in your lives. And um, our desire is just to grow in that every day and just know that this is our best offering of our worship to the Lord. Just one last biblical, oh, yes. Unless what happens when we gather translates into what happens when we scatter, then what happens when we gather doesn't matter. Wow. So one last biblical example of this insight of we worship God best when we love others. So the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and asks what I think we would agree is a fairly important question. How do I find eternal life? And again, while Jesus starts by saying, obey the commands, which I think in itself is a stunning answer. It's like, wait, wait, isn't that like a, wouldn't that be like a workspace theology? (laughs) Obey the commands to find eternal life? Well, the commands are all about what? And the purpose of life is what? And eternity is going to be all filled with what? Relationship. Well, then the ruler says, well, which, which ones? Which ones? Tell me which ones. And this is the really stunning part. Guess which, I'll give you a clue, guess which six commands he lists. <laughs> he lists the six commands on the right, how to do relationship with others. Now, yes, he presses in more and brings it back to the four commands on the left, how to do relationship with God, but he begins with, want to find eternal life? Obey the commands of how to love others. God has uh, given me this statement and acrostic, living in awe of God. So awe is a very worshipful word, of course. And this statement is just like another statement of showing, of staying engaged with God, a statement like living in the Spirit, a statement like pray without ceasing. It's just, it's painting a relational picture, an ongoing relational picture, living in awe of God. So the acrostic is acknowledge, welcome, and engage. So we engage by in every moment, every encounter, every task, Acknowledging God, welcoming God. Acknowledging God, welcoming God. We have this um, actually into a graphic that's on a magnet that's at our resource table. Pastor Jim mentioned our table back there in the book that, of mine that he wrote the forward to. We also have a children's worship book that just so beautifully shows how our kids, all of life for them is engaging with God and engaging with the people in their life. Um, I have a video series back there if you want to go even deeper than that. So stop by the resource table. Pastor Josh and the team are, are going to sing a, a song of reflection over us. And as they do, I'm going to invite you just to go before the Lord on these two things. Lord, what does it look like for me to grow 
in staying engaged with you throughout my day? What does that look like for me? It's going to be a little different for each one of us. What's it look like for me to grow in staying engaged? And then go before him in how that is going to help you love the people around you in your life because this is our best worship. God bless you.